Welcome to The City Podcast, a ministry of Ambassadors Church in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website at wearethecity.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you are blessed by today's word. Amen. So let's turn our Bibles to Genesis 29. Genesis 29. Um, I had a word when I uh, prepared for, t- for today, and this is God has been moving in the realm of relationships um, this past week and week and a half with me um, as I speak to young adults and as I speak to teenagers. And I, uh, when Pastor Shane told me that the theme is um, summer in the city, I, um, it, was, it wasn't a coincidence that the Lord had given me a word titled Love in the Summer. And so um, I got here and I was just really, really praying and seeking God's face and um, the Lord has already given me visions of what's getting ready to happen in this room, and I'm excited. I'm excited for that. So Genesis 29, all right? I'm going to read the message version. We're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to go. We're just going to keep going. Verse 1, Genesis 29. Jacob set out again on his way to the people of the east. He noticed a well out in an open field with three flocks of sheep bedded down around it. This was the common well from which the flocks were watered. The stone over the mouth of the well was huge. When all the flocks were gathered, the shepherds would roll the stone from the well and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone covering the well. Jacob said, hello, friends, where are you from, they said. We're from Iran, Jacob asked. Do you know Laban, son of Nahor? We do. Are things well with him? Jacob continued, very well, they said. And here is his daughter, Rachel, coming with the flock. Jacob said, there's a lot of daylight still left. Isn't it time to round up the sheep? So why not water the flocks and go back to grazing? We can't, they said, not until all the shepherds get here. It takes all of us. Somebody say all of us. It takes all of us to roll the stone from the well. Not until then can we water the flocks. While Jacob was in conversation with them, Rachel came up with her father's sheep. She was the shepherd. Somebody say the shepherd. The moment Jacob spotted Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, saw her arriving with his uncle Laban's sheep, he went and single-handedly rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the sheep of his uncle Laban. Then he kissed Rachel and broke into tears. He told Rachel that he was related to her father, that he was Rebecca's son. He ran and told her father when Laban heard the news, Jacob, his sister's son, he ran out to meet him, embraced and kissed him and brought him home. Jacob told Laban the story of everything that had happened. Laban said, your family, my flesh and blood. When Jacob had been with him for a month, Laban said, just because you're my nephew, you shouldn't work for me for nothing. Tell me what you want to be paid. What's a fair wage? Now Laban had two daughters, Leah, was the older daughter, and Rachel was the younger. Leah had nice eyes, but Rachel was stunningly beautiful. And it was Rachel that Jacob loved. So Jacob answered, I will work for you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. It is far better, said Laban, that I give her to you than marry her to some outsider. Yes, stay here with me. 
So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, but it only seemed like a few days. He loved her so much. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. I've completed what we agreed I'd do. I'm ready to consummate my marriage. Laban invited everyone around and threw a big feast. At evening, though, he got his daughter Leah and brought her to the marriage bed, and Jacob slept with her. Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as her maid. Morning came, there was Leah in the marriage bed. Homeboy got played. (laughs) Jacob confronted Laban, what have you done to me? Didn't I work all this time for the hand of Rachel? Why did you cheat me? We don't do it that way in our country, said Laban. We don't marry off the younger daughter before the older. Enjoy your week of honeymoon, and then we'll give you the other one also. But it will cost you. Somebody say cost you. It will cost you another seven years of work. May the Lord bless the reading of this scripture. God, we thank you. We thank you, O Jesus, that you've given us the privilege to worship you and to hear you. And now all of us in this room, God, in one accord, we decrease so you may increase. God, will your voice be as loud as it possibly can be in this room? Would you shift hearts in this place? Would you move and do the unexpected in this place, oh God? Would you redeem time? Would you redeem worth in this room tonight? Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. I want to speak briefly on the topic of love in the summer. How many single people we have in the house? Can y'all make some noise? Yeah, I know this is like young adults, so I had to explain this a little bit. So if you're not married, you're single. You might be in a relationship, but if you're not in covenant, you're single. When you go for a job application, it doesn't say, well, I'm dating right now. I'm, well, it's kind of complicated with this person. We're on and off and married. No, it says whether you're single or married. So how many single people we have in the room? Cool. Cool. I really want to address um, this, this message is really giving some practical things to the single people in the room, some practical things to the people that are not married, to the people that are trying to get spotted in the after party after this is done, to the people, you know, this is who this message is for, to the people that come here, they know that special someone is in the building, and they're like, you know what, I'm coming, I'm trying to get noticed out here, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get seen, I'm trying to look for somebody, it's all good, we can actually d- talk about this in church, all right? Let's, we can talk about this in church. And so I want to talk to these people, and God really began to use this scripture, to use this story to speak to me about how we can properly be positioned for relationships. And it was weird because, you know, there's this, this is not a story about you know, about dating, and it's not a story. This is, this is a story about our boy just got played, man. He got played. And, but I start, as I started reading, God started downloading things about the way we need to be positioned. You know, ladies, the way you need to be positioned in, other, in order to get spotted. And, and fellas, the way that you need to be positioned to spot the right one. And position, somebody say position. Position. And so, you know, in our church, we call it gets, you know, being spotted. And I don't know, I don't know where that came from. I think that came from our youth. We call it being spotted. And there are five criterias that I want to share tonight from this story. There are five spotting criterias. 
And I think based on this story, they're all biblical. They may be a little conventional in wording, but they're all biblical. And I'm going to go through each one of them. The very first thing, if you want to be in a relationship and if you want to be spotted, the very first thing is you got to be dope. You got to be dope. You got to be dope. I told y'all it's unconventional. It's all biblical. You got to be dope. You got to be dope. All right. You got to look good. All right. So Jacob, when he saw Rachel, the Bible says she was stunningly beautiful. You got to present yourself in a proper way. Ladies, you got to get your hair done. You got to come proper. I mean, you got to, you can't just walk out the house any type of way. You can't just come through in any way. You got presentation is everything. And fellas, you know, you got to put on a cologne every now and then. Get your haircut. You know what I'm saying? Take a shower. Smell good. Put on a jacket or something. You got to come ready. Presentation is everything. And if you want to get spotted, and if you want to spot the right one, you got to look good. You got to look good. Rachel just looked good. Rachel, all she had to do was come up on the scene. She didn't have to say nothing. Rachel stopped Jacob mid-sentence. He was talking to the shepherds. He was talking to other people, and all Jacob had to do was put his eyes on her, and everything changed. Your presence alone got to give you what you need to be spotted. Your presence alone, presence is important. Presentation, the way you present yourself is absolutely important. And I know this is very, very practical, but I'm a very spiritual and practical person at the same time. The Bible says don't be too worldly and too spiritual at the same time. There is a balance, amen? We're in the world. We're not of the world, but we still have to learn how to function in the world. And so one of the things I tell a lot of the young adults that come into my office and the college students that come into my office, they're like, you know, I've been praying and I've been fasting and I've been really, really hearing from the Lord and I believe that I found my wife. I believe that this person is my husband. I believe that God is really speaking to me. And I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, you're hearing from God. You're, you're praying. But can I ask you a question? Like, are you attracted to them? Is, <laughs> do you think they look good? <laughs> they're like, like when you see them, do you get like, you know, butterflies in your stomach? Do they make you you think thoughts that you need to repent about? Do you actually like them? That's actually important. Can the married folks make some noise? That's actually important. That's actually important. Do you think they look good? Are they dope? Are they dope? Don't over-spiritualize a situation. The very first thing before you even think about a relationship is you got to determine whether you're attracted to that person or not. That's important. That's important. I'm right, right? Right. Absolutely right. They got to be dope. They got to be dope. Somebody say be dope. Be dope. Be dope. Rachel was just dope. The second thing, all right, second spotting criteria, all right, they got to be submitted. They got to be submitted. They got to be submitted. They got, it gets deeper and deeper, y'all. Dope, was, it gets deeper and deeper. They got to be submitted. So Rachel was submitted to her father. Rachel was taking care of her father's sheep when she was spotted, all right? If you are not submitted to any man on earth, I'm not talking about, I say this to my high schoolers, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, I'm submitted to Jesus. I'm like, you ain't ready. You, who on the earth can you listen to? Who can tell you about yourself, and you will listen? Who on the earth gives you wisdom? Who's the person that can say, hey, you know what? This that you said and this that you did, that wasn't right. 
and you need to make that right. Who are you submitted to? It's important for you to, fellas, you need to look for the ladies that are submitted because if they can be submitted before you find them, then they will be submitted after you get them. But if they're not submitted before you find them, well, you got a long way to go, bro. You got a long way to go. Submission is important. Ladies, they need to be submitted before they try talking to you. They got to understand how to lead. They got to understand it. They got to understand what submission really is before they lead you into a relationship. Submission is important. You know, submission breeds protection. Submission breeds protection. When you're submitted, you're protected. Wisdom is around you when you're submitted. I get so bold when my dad says, yes, I can do something, because he said I could do it. I was submitted. I asked for permission. Submission gives you a level of protection. There's hurt that won't come your way if you're submitted. There's pain that won't come your way if you're submitted. If you have checks and balances, there's things that you will never experience just because you're submitted. Fellas, who are you going to run her by? Hey, man, what do you think about her? Who are you submitted about that can say, you know what? I know you like her, but there's uh, that's something about her. I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. We got to pray. There's something that I see. There's something. Who are you submitted under? If you're submitted, you're protected. If you're submitted, you're protected. I love the part of scripture where Rachel comes and Rachel embraces Jacob. And the first thing that Rachel did was go back to her father and tell Jacob was here. The very first thing, Rachel went to the person that she was submitted under. She was submitted. She was submitted. It's important. You're not ready to be in a relationship if you're not submitted. If you're not submitted. I've been with, with my wife now for 11 years. We just celebrated our 11 Facebook anniversary year of friendship. All right? We've been married for about four years. And we've been together since she was 15 I was 16, and I used to be over her house all the time. She used to live in Malden. I used to live in Mattapan, and I used to go over there during college all the time. And she, we're Haitian, y'all. We're Haitian. So, so she used to, she still has, you know, the best, most amazing, loving, kind, annoying parents. <laughs> Listen, I used to be over there. I love my, I love them so much. I used to be over there, and it firmly used to be 9 p.m., and her Haitian mother and her big Haitian accent be like, oh, well, that's son. You sleeping over here tonight? What you doing here? It's 1 o'clock in the morning. It's firmly 9 p.m. Why are you still in the house? Why are you still here? You sleeping over? I'm like, okay, mom, five more minutes, five more minutes. I just want to talk to her for five more minutes. She's like, okay, two minutes later. She's like, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Why are you still here? Why are you still here? And I remember my wife used to be like, okay, babe, you really got to go. Because, you know, my parents are not really having it. You got to get out. It's like, it's past that time. But just her ability to not act annoyed by her parents, just her ability to just submit at what her parents said, made me want her even more. It made me want to pop the question even more. It made me want to marry her and say, ha ha, mom and dad, I can stay over now. She's my wife because she was submitted. Because she was submitted. She was submitted. She was protected. She was protected. All right? Somebody say, get submitted. Get submitted. You have some amazing pastors. I was in awe just watching you two up here. There's just something about y'all that I'm like, man, you have some amazing spirited pastors that are praying and listening to God. Get submitted. 
get submitted. They'll look out for you. There's just something, there's just something about their aura that God is all around. Get submitted and get protected, all right? All right? Third spotting criteria, all right, is that they got to be a leader. They got to be a leader. Rachel wasn't just submitted, y'all. She was a shepherd. She was a shepherd. When Jacob found Rachel, Rachel was a shepherd. She was leading her father's sheep. How can you tell me you're ready for a relationship, but you don't got confidence enough to lead something? I'm going to just let that sink in a little bit. Like, how, how can you tell me you're ready to be in a relationship when you don't necessarily have the discipline of leadership? To be a leader takes discipline. To be a leader, it takes character, it takes consistency, it takes faithfulness. How can you say you want to be in a relationship and you can't lead anything? Ladies, look for the things that he's leading. What is he leading? Because if he can't lead anything, he can't lead you. He can't lead you. He got to be able to lead you. What are you leading? What is in your hand? What are you in charge of, bro? What is in your hand? What are you leading? What responsibility do you have? Before you try getting a relationship with me, fellas, what is she leading? What is she leading? I want to go back to the ladies just a little bit. Ladies, if you really are a leader before you go into a relationship, it's difficult for the fellas to bring you to a space that you're not supposed to be. Because you already know how to lead yourself. And a lot of times we get in relationships where people bring us to a space we're not supposed to be only because we're not confident to lead in the first place. It's not the blind leading the blind. I was leading myself before you found me. And me being me submitting to you doesn't necessarily mean that I'm I'm an idiot. Doesn't necessarily mean that I'm gonna put myself in jeopardy. I'm a leader as well. There is nothing more amazing, fellas, than a woman that can lead something. A boss chick. I love just going to, I just love going to my wife's work. I go to her job and I just want to sit in her office. I'm like, what you doing? Like, she's like, you need to get out. I'm like, what you doing? Oh, you about to call? What you about to do? I just want to sit. I just want to sit somewhere in the office and just see you do your thing. I mean, I just want to see you lead something. Leadership breeds discipline. Breeds discipline. And relationship, the only reason y'all, I just wanted to say this disclaimer in case it went over our heads. The only reason why we're in a relationship is for marriage. So, and you need discipline. <laughs> You need discipline. We're not dating and in a relationship for cute Instagram posts. We're not, we're not in a relationship just so we could sit or boot up at the city services. We're not, we're not really like in a relationship just so we can pass the time. The purpose of a relationship is for marriage. It's for marriage, and marriage takes discipline. It takes discipline because if you can't lead yourself, who going to tell you when to pay your bills? Please, please let me know who... No one is going to lead you to pay your mortgage. No one is going to lead you to pay your light bill. Who's going to do that? You need to be a leader. You need to be a leader. You need to have the discipline of leadership. The discipline of leadership. Understand the responsibility of leadership because you have to lead within your own home. You have to lead within your own home. Ladies, you can't just trust that he's the only leader that you're going to be. You have to be a leader too. 
You have to be a leader too. The most amazing thing, and I am so grateful for, is that I can go around and preach and my wife will hold down my house. I, I, she could lead that thing or she can go out into a conference for work and we could just switch roles and everything is good because she can, we came in leading. We understood how to handle some things. We understood how to take care of some things. Somebody say leadership. They got to be a leader. They got to be a leader. And if you're not in a space where you're a leader, find a way to be a leader. Get connected and say, what do I need to do? What do I need to learn? Do I need to face my fears? Do I need to speak in public? I just want to be a leader. I want to have the discipline of leadership. I want to have the discipline of responsibility. All right? Rachel was a leader. And the fact that she was a leader allowed her to get spotted. All right? So, fellas, make sure she's a leader and make sure you're a leader yourself. All right? Fourth criteria, all right? Be conscious, be conscious. The fourth, the fourth cri uh, cri criteria, yes, I can. <laughs> the fourth criteria, all right, is that you got to be conscious about what they bring out of you. What they bring out of you. You got to be conscious about what they bring out of you. For this point, I want to go back to scripture. Let's go back to verse 7, all right? Genesis 29, let's go back to verse 7, all right? I'm going to read verse 7 through 13 one more time so we can really under, um, put this in context biblically. Jacob said, there's a lot of daylight still left. It isn't time to round up the sheep yet, is it? So why not water the flocks and go back to grazing? We can't, they said, not until all the shepherds get here. It takes all of us to roll the stone from the well. Not until then can we water the flocks. While Jacob was in conversation with them, Rachel came up with her father's sheep. She was the shepherd. The moment Jacob spotted Rachel, daughter of Laban, his, mother, his mother's brother saw her arriving with his uncle Laban's sheep. He went and single-handedly rolled the stone from the mouth of the well and watered the sheep of his uncle Laban. She has to have the ability, fellas, to bring out the Hulk in you. She got to bring out the best in you. When you're with that person, what kind of person are you? Do they bring out the best quality in you? I will, you know, to understand this biblically, you got to understand that the shepherds told Jacob that in order for that stone to be moved, all of them had to gather and move that stone just to water the sheep. At the very sight of Rachel, something jumped inside of Jacob. And he's like, I know what you said, that it takes all of us, but I just have this strength right now, and I'm going to be bold enough to take this stone and roll it back. And what used to take many men took one person. You got to understand, Jacob was a punk. Jacob was literally fleeing from his brother Esau in context of this scripture because he stole his birthright. Jacob wasn't man enough to face up his brothers and be able to fight if he needed to because of something that he's done. And so literally, Rachel threw that punk away. And Rachel was like, no, you're going to be a man when you see me. I ain't got to say nothing. I got to just come up on the spot. And you're going to have the strength of many men. And so what ended up happening, he literally moved the stone by himself. She got to bring out something in you that you didn't even know you could do. She has 
to bring out something in you, the best in you. When I'm with you, I'm better. I'm smarter. I talk better. I look better. I preach better. When I'm with you, there's something about you that jumps in me and that just, there's a, there's a power. Fellas, there's a reservoir of power in women that once you get with the right one, there's a reason why women were given the opportunity to birth a child because we can't do it. There's a level of supernatural power that women carry that once you get with the right one, something will jump on you and you'll begin to have the power to do something you never thought you could do. You'll begin to apply for jobs you never thought you'd get. You'll begin to make money you never thought you could make. You'll begin to be stronger. Your strength will be multiplied and your ability to be successful will be multiplied all because you drew from the reservoir of power God gave them. There's a level of power that women have that if you get with the right one, you got to ask, your ask yourself this question. When you're with that person, ladies, when you, fellas, when you're with that person, what kind of person are you? You know, since you've been talking to them, you, do you cuss more? Uh, have you been missing a couple of city nights? Uh, you know, I've been with him, and Sunday nights and Friday nights are kind of like our thing. And uh, I really don't have time to come to the city anymore. <laughs> and when you're with them, are you a little bit more promiscuous? You know, do you lie, fellas, when you're with them a little bit more because you feel like they won't accept you for who you really are? What do they bring out of you? Be conscious of what they bring out of you. Get with someone that brings out the best in you. Since I've been with you, I've been getting better grades. I'm trying to finish school. I got a better job. I'm losing a little bit of weight. I mean, since I'm with you, just, you just make my life a little better. Look for the person that brings out the fruits of the spirit inside of you. Okay? Look for the person that brings out the fruit of the spirit inside of you inside of you do they make you happy do they make you more patient i am impatient i am probably one of the most impatient people i know i hate the supermarket i hate waiting i i i i, I just I, I i i want it and i need it now i got some of my leaders here they will tell you but then every time my wife comes around there's just something i'm like okay i could wait I could just wait a little bit. I could, I could understand. I could, I could do that. And there's just something about them that are, that's going to give you more of God's characteristics. Pay attention to that. Ever since you've been talking to them, if you've been moodier, you've been more angry, you know, you just can't, you can't handle yourself. You, your anxiety is through the roof and you're not making good decisions. Examine what they bring out of you. Examine what they bring out of you. Rachel brought out the strength in Jacob. And that strength Jacob was going to need to wrestle with God. That strength Jacob was going to need to wrestle with God so his life can change. So he could change his way from being a thief and from being cheated so the pain of who he was could be healed. He needed that strength. He needed that strength. Y'all thought it was just about a relationship. It's about purpose and destiny. He needed that strength. He needed that strength. Jacob needed that strength for his children. He needed that strength for Joseph. He needed that strength. Understand that the decisions you make in your youth will affect your children. It will affect your destiny. Right here, as young as you may be, the decisions that you make will affect eternity. Get with the person that brings out the best in you. Be conscious of that, all right? And last, 
you want to know your worth. You want to know your worth. And we're going to land here to close. You want to know your worth. The biggest thing that this scripture screams is worth. It's worth. The biggest thing that this scripture screams to me every single time that I read it over and over again, and every time that I read it, there's a new revelation about worth. Worth. You see, worth comes from your father. Worth comes from your father. Your father is the person that establishes worth. All right? So I'll prove it biblically. Jacob comes, and because Jacob's father was not there, they didn't really know his worth. He started working for his uncle for free. And so his uncle says, okay, Jacob, what are you worth? What are you worth? I'm not going to let you work for me for free. Tell me how much I should pay you. Tell me what your wages are, right? And so Jacob's like, you know what? I'll work for you for Rachel because I love Rachel in seven years. Now, Laban understood that the agreement was seven years for Rachel, but he cheated him. <laughs> he played him real hard. He's like, yeah, you're going to think you're going to get Rachel, but you're going to get Leah because I'm establishing Leah's worth to be seven years. And I'm going to establish Rachel's worth to be 14 years. Your father establishes your worth. I'm not talking about your heavenly father yet. I'm talking about your earthly father. If your earthly father didn't tell you how worth it you are and how worthy you are, you're going to have some problems in the relationships, no matter if you're a man or a woman. Worth establishes your value. All right? Worth establishes respect. Okay? If you respect someone, you respect their worth. If you disrespect someone, you disrespect their worth. So I want to really stay here a little bit to talk about worth and what it really means in the context of a relationship. You see, when Laban established Leah's worth to be seven years, I think we really got to understand what he was saying to Jacob. You see, seven years... I'm going to break that down into how he did this. So if you look at seven years, 52 weeks in a year, they worked for six days as shepherds. They took a Sabbath. All right? They worked for six days, and they worked from sunup to sundown. All right? So we can establish that to just, let's just say it's about eight hours. It could have been longer depending geographically where they were. could have been longer. So if we say that they were, he worked about an eight-hour day for 52 weeks a year, for seven years, 2,184 days for eight hours. His father was establishing, right? Ray, um, Leah's father was establishing her worth to be 17,000 hours, over 17,000 hours. To get her, you got to put in 17,000 hours worth of work. And then he established Rachel's worth to be double that. So Rachel's worth was about 34,000 hours when you really looked at it. Ladies, how much work does he have to put in to get you? How much, how much time? I mean, what kind of cards he got to pull out to get your attention? Like, how much is your body worth? I'm just, I'm just going to go right there instead of easing into it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just, you know. How, mu how, much, how much is your body worth? What price do you require him to pay? 
Fellas, same thing, because your body's worth something too. What price are you requiring for them to pay before they have all of you? You're worth something. You're worth something. You're worth something. There are, now, I want to go through worth with these three characters, Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. All of their fathers were different. I know Leah and Rachel shared a father, but he was different to both of his daughters in the aspect of worth. Understand Jacob's father died, and Jacob's father didn't have the opportunity to speak to his worth. So what did, Jacob's, what did Jacob do? Jacob underestimated his worth. He underestimated what he was worth because Jacob had the strength of all of Laban's men. He had the strength of all of his shepherds. And so because he had the strength of all of his shepherds, if he had someone that told him what he was worth, he wouldn't just say seven years because it was seven years of many men that Jacob would give. Because his work was not going to be the work of one man. He had the strength of many shepherds. And if he understood his worth, he wouldn't have underestimated his strength. His wage would have been much higher. Yeah, it might take a regular dude to do seven and 14 years for Leah and Rachel, but I'm Jacob. You got to understand what I bring to the table. You got to understand my strength. You got to understand who I am. And if you understand who I am, you got to understand my worth. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to get a bargain, but I have some worth too. When you don't know your worth, and you underestimate your worth, you get taken advantage of. Yeah. Fellas, when you don't know your worth, they take advantage of you. She takes advantage of you. They take advantage of you. Jacob didn't have a father right then and there to be like, what are you talking about? What are you talking What you mean you're going to do seven years? Do you not know how I raised you? Do you not know the strength that I've put in you? Do you not know how I've conditioned you? Jacob didn't have a father to literally share his worth with him. That's Jacob. That's Jacob. Leah, her father mishandled her worth. Mishandled her worth. Leah was a pawn in this scheme. So he can get more people. So he can get more work out of Jacob. He, her worth was mishandled. And because her worth was mishandled, it breeded insecurity inside of her. If you continue to read this chapter and you continue to read about Leah, Leah started to be overcompensate just so Jacob could love her. She's like, oh, he doesn't love me. He loves my sister. Maybe if I give him a child, he'll love me. Ladies, you ain't got to do nothing to make them love you. They got to love you just the way you are. If they don't love you the way you are, then they are not the one. You don't got to overcompensate. You don't got to do anything extra. They got to love you just the way you are. If they don't love you the way you are, then they're not the one. You don't got to keep doing all this extra stuff just to get their attention. You should be enough, as dope as you are, to just pop out on the scene and they're going to just love you just the way that you are. Leah had to overcompensate. She had to overcompensate. And when you, when you have your worth be mishandled by your natural father, you begin to overcompensate for things that you don't have to. You don't believe in yourself. You don't think that you're good enough. You have low self-esteem because your worth was mishandled. That's Leah. Rachel. Rachel's worth was overestimated. 
Rachel's worth was overestimated. Her dad just overestimated her worth just to get work. So what that did in Rachel is that it created a spirit of competition inside of her because she knew she wasn't worth those 14 years. She knew the type of man Jacob was. She knew that she wasn't worth those 14 years. And so what ended up happening is that Rachel began to start competing with Leah. And there's a spirit of competition and a spirit of dishonesty that came inside of their home. And Rachel started to figure out, how can I get pregnant? Because Leah's popping out all these kids. I want to compete. I want to make sure that they know I I earned my right. I seat at the table. Listen, when your worth... When your worth is overly estimated, you start trying to prove to people that you deserve to be where you're at. You start trying to prove to your friend, oh, I deserve him. I I deserve her. You know, you try to prove to everybody that you deserve to be right where you are. And you know what that did to Rachel? It led her to her death. It led her to her death. She died in childbirth. She died trying to give this man children just so she could compete. And so if your natural father, if your natural father is supposed to give you your worth, and there are so many natural fathers that just drop the ball, I believe that in this generation that God is literally restoring some of that. So many natural fathers have just dropped the ball. How can we understand our worth if we were like a Jacob who whose daddy wasn't there to tell us. Or if we were like a Leah, whose daddy wasn't there, whose daddy mishandled, just used us just for his own gain. Or if we had a father like Rachel, who pumped our minds up and just just literally made us bigger than we actually should be. How can we understand that we're worth it? You see, what I love about this is that This is where Jesus comes in. This is where Jesus comes in. Because the space that your father dropped the ball at, he picked up the ball over 2,000 years ago. The space that your father dropped the ball at, he knew your father was going to drop the ball. He knew something. He knew that somewhere that your father was going to drop the ball. So what he did is that he opened the gates of heaven and he came down on this earth and he said, y'all thought seven years was something. Y'all thought 14 years was something. Well, I'm going to live a life clean for, for 33 years. And in those 33 years, I'm going to just give it up just for you because you're worth it. Those 33 years, I'm literally going to allow them to kick me and to hurt me and to stab me and to spit in my face and to lie about me, even though I could stop it, but I'm going to pay that price just for you. I'm going to allow them to put nails on my hand and put me on my cross. I'm going to allow them to disrespect my royalty. I'm going to withhold my power and I'm going to withhold my tongue just so I can pay the price for you, just so you know you can worth it because I am God and I foresee your father dropping the ball. I am God and I foresee your father not telling you you're worth it. So I'm going to pay the price and seal this for eternity. For eternity. 
That's what Jesus did. And every time, every time we get with someone without them paying the price, every time we sleep with someone that we're not married to, every time we send nudes over Instagram and Snapchat, every time we dress inappropriately, that's a slap to God and saying, hey, I know you paid the price, but I'm putting it on sale. And I don't know about you, but the cross was worth too much for me to put my body on sale. The cross was worth too much for me to put my integrity on sale. The cross was worth too much for me to put certain things on sale. My daddy paid the price. And if you want this, you got to pay it. It costs what it costs. It costs what it costs. It costs what it costs. You got to pay the price. It costs what it costs. Ladies, you cost something. You cost something. Time with you costs something. You cost something. You cost something. You're worth it. You have, you have worth that Jesus foresaw thousands of years ago. And you can't allow any joker to come and disrespect the worth that your father paid for. You cost something. Fellas, your last name is worth something. It's worth something. They got to pay the price for it. They got to pay the price for it. And I believe the enemy is using this generation, and he's plaguing this generation with not with making relationships such a light thing. I feel like we're just jumping in relationships from relationships for fun, and we're sleeping with one another, and, and it's just the norm, and it's the norm. And every time we do that, it's a slap in Jesus' face because he paid the price. He paid the price. He paid the price for you. And some of you never had somebody to tell you worth it. I believe God sent me to Pawtucket, Rhode Island today to tell you that you're worth it. To tell you that he didn't mishandle your worth. You're worth it. And he paid the price for it. He paid the price for it. You're worth it. You're worth his patience, ladies. You're worth his respect, ladies. You're worth his time. Come on, you're worth him understanding that you're not just anybody, that he got to come correct. Fellas, you're worth her respect. If she don't talk to you right, she's not worth it. You're worth her respect. She can't just come at you any other way. Fellas, you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. Don't discount what God paid full price for. Don't discount what God paid full price for. You're worth it. You're worth it. And no man can take that away. The cross is final. That cost was final. Jesus tried to negotiate with it. Jesus tried to negotiate the cost. Jesus went into the garden of Gethsemane and said, Jesus, God, is there something that we can do about this cost? It's a, it's a little hefty. It's a, it's a little heavy. I mean, does it really cost that much for me to tell them what they're worth? Can we come up with something else? Do you got any coupons or discounts? Do I really have to pay this price right now? And God said, yes, because they're worth it. You got to pay it all, son. You got to pay it all, son. You got to go to that cross. I can't negotiate this. I can't change this. You got to pay the entire thing. You got to pay. It costs what it costs. It costs what it costs. And when he heard that, Jesus said, well, let not my will, but your will be done. I'll pay the cost so that they will know so that about 150 people in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, at the city would know tonight 
that they're worth it. That they're worth it. That they're worth it. Can we all stand? They're worth it. They're worth it. You're, you're worth a love that is tested, tried, and true. And I believe tonight God sent me here for some people to grab their worth back. For some people to grab their worth back. To grab their worth back. As the worship team comes up, as the Holy Spirit is moving, he is reminding you of the price that he paid for your worth. And I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what relationships you've been in. I don't know what it is that you've been going through. But today, God is saying, can you grab your worth back? I paid the price for it. Can you change the price back to what I, pay, I paid for it? Can you change the price on yourself? Can you gain your worth back? Can you grab it back? You don't have to do nothing because I've already paid for it. You're worth something. You're worth something. You're, you're worth something. You're worth. You're worth.